Well, hello again, everyone. I'm Tony Payne. Welcome to another edition of Two Ways News. Great to have you with us again. And a special guest for today's conversation, Marty Sweeney, is joining me again. Uh, but we're not in the same room in his office over in Ohio. We're doing this remotely via Zoom, and I hope it's all going to work well. Marty, welcome. How are you? Good day, Tony. Thank you. Uh, always great to be here. And I, um, yeah, I'd much rather have you across the table from me, but it's good to uh, see your face again. And thank you for saying good day in, in a convincing fashion there. That wasn't bad. I've had lots of practice. I've heard it <laughs> lots. And dear listeners, I must apologize too for my slightly muffled voice today. I'm still getting over a cold, so apologies for that. Uh, but Marty, I thought we should talk about something that we often talk about when we have workshops over in the US. We've done this many times over the last 10 or 15 years, talking about some of the principles of ministry that we hold dear, especially kind of the trellis and vine sort of principles, but in particular to talk about the story of how those principles came into effect and really brought a lot of change to your own church at, at Old North in Canfield. Yeah. Well, first, Tony, I don't want to be a rude guest, but let me uh, interrupt and impose my own agenda, if you don't mind, for a minute. Of because course. Because I just have to ask you, I just have to ask you, um, we received into our warehouse here at Matthias Media um, your new book, The Christian Gospel. And uh, I know it seems like I'm placating or flattering, but you're not my boss, so I don't really owe you anything, and you have any control <laughs> over me. So I think this is very sincere. Um, I've been excited about this book for a long time now because um, it's weird. Matthias Media, we talk about how we do evangelism, evangelistic resources really well, and that's true. But for the longest time, I've felt we haven't had the kind of the go-to center of the road uh, evangelistic book to give away. And that's we've got some really good evangelistic books. But um, A Fresh Start by Chapo doesn't work quite as well here in the U.S., and so your book came out, is, is just released this, this last week, The Christian Gospel. So could you just help us out and tell us a little bit about what it is and why you wrote it? Well, it's hard to resist that kind of interruption, Marty. It's, uh, it's been a while coming, and, and I am pleased also that it has finally come out and is available. As you say, it's something that we kind of probably should have done 20 or 25 years ago, but it's great in God's providence that it's finally happened. Uh, a simple straightforward, fairly short, it's under 100 pages, evangelistic book, giveaway book that just explains the gospel using the two ways to live framework in a conversational, approachable sort of fashion for someone who is not a Christian, who doesn't base their lives on this gospel. Uh, and I've something I've been kind of wanting to do for a long time and regular listeners and readers to uh, this podcast, and when it used to be called The Painful Truth, will remember that's something I've been doing over the last 12 or 18 months, and I've shared chapters of this book as I've been writing it. And I am really pleased that it's finally out, and it looks good, and I'm really hopeful that uh, it will be a valuable resource for giving away, for sharing the gospel with people. So thank you for interrupting in that kind fashion. It's nice to mention it, I suppose. Well, and I have to say, it's another. there's many uses for this. This is resources that... Um, not just something you can give away, we sh re a resource that you can read yourself as a Christian and, in one sense, equip yourself with the kind of framework, of course, the two ways live framework, but the kind of thinking uh, that it takes to engage with a non-Christian. And so I think I've read the book a number of times now, and you've did a really good job to, if I just read it myself uh, and think about the way you frame the discussions around the six points of two ways to live, well, in one sense, ideally, I would want to give it away, but there's going to be many times that I 
just don't have the opportunity. The person's not going to read it. I just trained myself to think this way so I can talk this way, to talk evangelistic. So thank you for that help. So it would be the, the type of book that I would give away to all my Christian friends and in one sense challenge them to say, read it and then give it away. I hope it will be used for giving away. Although what you're saying is exactly right. It sort of, it does... The gospel equips us and drives us to share the gospel, and the more we think it and understand it and see new ways of explaining it like this, the more it helps us in our conversations. But I guess I'm planning to give it away to a bunch of people in my life that I've been wanting to say, look, we've talked about this, and you know where I stand, but I'm not sure I've ever provided you with just, look, here's a summary of what I really believe. This is what it's really about. And if you let's read this short thing, it's just less than 100 pages. It'll give you a sense of, of what this message is that I've based my life on and that we've talk, talked about a few occasions. And I'm hopeful it's that kind of book for many people, the book they can give uh, to initiate a conversation or to follow up on a conversation or to use as a summary of the message uh, in the context of a relationship they have with someone. Yeah, and just the last point on this, because I want to get back to talking about me, of course. But of uh, course, we're going uh, to get yeah, this soon. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm thinking about my father-in-law hasn't gone to church for about 50 years. He goes to a little mainline Methodist church. We don't. We pray quite literally that the gospel is there, but we don't know. But it'd be the kind of book that we plan to give to him and say, you know. Um, dad or from my wife, dad, you know, I don't know what you're hearing on Sundays, but this is the kind of the centerpiece of what we would say as Christians, we believe. So that's kind of one of the ways we were thinking about using it as well. Uh, so thank you, Tony, for doing that. I really, really appreciate the labors. I'm excited. And the only thing I will say, I'm disappointed that the 9,000 copies that showed up at Warehouse, I, I thought you said you personally autographed them all, but <laughs> I didn't see that in there. <laughs> well, that's an old trick of an author, of course, is to autograph copies of his book because then you can't return them. So once they're autographed, uh, <laughs> book signings, always sign as many as possible because then the bookshop can't send them back. But um, thanks, Marty, for, for interrupting me and mentioning that. And I just wanted to also thank... Um, uh, a number of listeners and readers to The Painful Truth and, and to Two Ways News who provided really helpful feedback and encouragement along the way in the production of this book. And I know a number of you have been waiting for it to be available to use in ministry. Uh, so it's available now, which is great. But let's move off that topic and back on to what we really want to talk about today. Marty, when you arrived at Old North Church, it was what, 2011 you arrived there? Correct. Is that right? And you Correct. were brought on... Uh, specifically, the pastoral staff there had read The Trellis and the Vine, and they kind of said, look, we want you to come and work here with us and bring some of that stuff here. Uh, that's my understanding of, of what happened. When they asked you that, what were they wanting you to bring? What, what were the sort of main principles or cultural changes that The Trellis and the Vine and that kind of thinking kind of outlined that you were thinking, this is what I want to bring to this church? Yeah, that's a good question, and it's so hard to put yourself back in your mind. 13 years ago, uh, 12 years ago, um, was in my mid-30s and didn't know what I didn't know, of course. But as, as I probably had to, if I were to summarize it now, to, to not kind of um, be anachronistic, I think it was the center message is to train up all Christians to be vine growers or to raise up the disciple-making disciples, to make disciple-making the centerpiece of all that the church is in kind of everything circles around what it does. Yeah, that would be the summary. And I guess the next question is, well, in what sense was that 
not what Old North was like back then. Because in one way you'd say, well, surely that's what every church should be like and about. We should be all on making disciples of Jesus and all getting involved in that. Uh, but of course, our experience in talking with pastors about this over many years has been very often church culture, for all kinds of reasons, just isn't that way. And that's not the centerpiece of what's going on. What was it like when you came to Old North? What was the yeah, state I mean, of play? It's the reason... It's, it's the reason that Charleston Mine hit so well in the U.S. and really around the world is because churches said that's what it should be, obviously, <laughs> but it's not. Um, and Old North was probably your typical kind of medium to largest church in the U.S. at least, about 1,000 adults attending on a Sunday morning with maybe three to 400 kids under 18 on top of that. Uh, and I think it was a pretty typical church, as I said, that we ran a lot of programs. We did a lot of things. We, uh, Old North had grown in the last 20 years before I got there uh, from a church of a couple hundred up into the church of a thousand or plot, a thousand plus. And so I think it was trying to say, how can we still be a small church, even though we're big now? It's a Baptist church. And so it has kind of a, some good old time Baptist people who want the Bible open, want people to get evangelizing and down the aisle and into the baptismal. <laughs> and, um, so there was that, but on the on the other side, it was try, in one sense following kind of the typical trends coming off the seeker-sensitive movement of that era of the late 1990s into the 2000s um, and trying to engage a culture that was slowly not coming to church. And so, yeah, figuring out how can we get people to come to church. Um, so in one sense, that's kind of the broad identity, a, a fairly large church. Uh, underneath the surface, so to speak, or you get a little bit down deeper, it was a church that had a very mixed identity. And so you had a lot of people, quite literally, there was one person I saw this, but I think it's pretty typical, uh, with a John MacArthur study Bible in the left hand and a copy of Joel Olstein's Hear Beth's Life Now in the other, with yeah, no seemingly issues. Yeah. Now to interpret for Australian listeners who may not know exactly what you're talking about. So a Joel Osteen in one hand would be like a prosperity preaching, teaching kind of uh, mainstream, popular Pentecostal kind of style of church. Um, yeah, maybe not Pentecostal, but yeah, it's more of a, a middle class prosperity, live your best life now. Um, I can't believe you guys don't know Joe Austin, oh, as you said. Well, I'm sure many people would. It's not sure all our younger listeners would. And if you say John That's MacArthur true. in the right hand, that would be... <laughs> yes. Fair, fair point. Yep, fair point. John MacArthur in the right hand, Joe Austin in the left hand. But it, there was a, a sense that we were Bible people, but essentially that Christianity, and maybe say it specifically and personally, Jesus was there to be a good life coach, a moral guide, and someone to inspire you to be the better father, the better worker, the better father, if you're male, um, or what have you, to be, to be the better version of who you are. And that church was there to give you the encouragement, the slap on the back, and the community to drive towards that end. But there weren't a lot of people, in the words you were saying before, there weren't a lot of people who were actually seeking to minister to other people, to reach out to their neighbors, to disciple make both in the sense of reaching out to non-christian people but also encouraging exhorting working with reading the bible with other christians there wasn't much of that happening 
I think we had some, you know, you know Tony, I've got to be careful here. I've, we probably have some people listening, and I want to say there are some really good Old Northers doing good people work. They loved people. They welcomed them to their homes and to their family. What wasn't there was it wasn't, I think this hit this way, is word-centered people work. It was a lot of, I'll bring another blast from the past, and I'll interpret it, John Eldridge, Wild at Heart type of Christianity. We kind of like, let's go have really good experiences together as good, solid people, um, and come with me, and this is what Christian life's about. And so it and so what happened is it, it was kind of like a mentoring program. People would, at best, people would mentor people with come do life like me, but it wasn't the kind of radical call to put away all your ambitions, put away all your desires for this life and making the best of it and put them at the cross and live the new life with the radical new agenda of living for Christ in his truth and his agenda for the world. So you came on board as as an as a part time. I think were you called the discipleship pastor? Yep, yep. Yep. I think that shows you a little bit what one of the issues were that discipleship was sectioned off into this is what one person led with his programs in the church. So sure, that, that shows you a lot right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you go about it? What did you do? Um, you weren't the senior pastor. You you were just part of the team. You saw some needs. You were brought on specifically to try to address some of these issues. How did you go about it? Um, the first thing, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I don't know if I do even this day, but the first thing None of us I really wanted do, to do, I think, Marty. <laughs> I wanted to try to convince people of just the idea that the ideas we've just been talking about, quite simply. I don't think even had an idea that there was something bigger going on from Scripture given by God through his word that we are to be living for. Cast their eyes to a higher horizon, if you will, um, beyond kind of their own life and their own little world to a much bigger thing. So that was the first thing, was to find a group of people who would be simply willing to listen. And so I don't think I thought about this intentionally, but I just used plain old sociology to say I was mid-30s at the time, so I found people who are about three to five years younger than me because they're most likely to listen. They're close enough in age to know that I'm still, you know, relevant to them, uh, but old, just a little bit older that they'll listen. And in God's kindness, one of them asked me to lead one of their groups. And he said to me, he, my friend John, he's now a good friend, but then just getting to know him, John said, you know, we've been through all the curriculum, good stuff, John Piper, R.C. Sproul, all good curriculum, but kind of just, we just churn through curriculum in our small group. We need a spark. We need something different. Would you come in and lead? Well, God's Providence, uh, another resource you wrote, Tony, a long time ago now, but the, called The Course of Your Life had just been released. And I said, listen, I uh, was in on just helping my friend Tony in Australia, not write it, but work through it. I would love to try this out in our group. And would you let me lead it? Because what The Course of Your Life does and it did then is it did exactly what I was hoping, as I said before, to cast the vision beyond just how can I live a better life as a Christian and what's the next thing you want me to do uh, as a Christian to what is God's agenda for the world uh, and then therefore then what is in my agenda as a result of that or because of that and how do I fit into that agenda? So it was very providential. A number of things came together, but I, Looking back, that's what I did. I found people who were more likely to listen to me, a little bit younger. I opened the Word of God with them. I invested time with them, and I used the Word 
to press in on the specific things going on in their life. And that what young 30 year olds old to say, I want a better career or I want to have a great family, the two to three kids and go to nice schools. I pressed in on that to say, is that all? And is that really what God wants for you? And so that was a Bible study group of maybe what, 10 or 12 people or something out of a yep. church of a thousand, you said roughly. Um, seems like a fairly small place to start. It seems like a drop in the ocean. Um, what, what happened from there? Like you, you work through this material with the Bible study group. What, what was their response and what did you do from there? A couple of them. I mean, let's say there were 15, 15, 16, mostly couples. Uh, a couple of the couples really got switched on right away. I mean, God had been tilling the soil. They were good soil. And we dropped the seeds in there um, through the word and through the specific application of some of the points we just mentioned. And they took to it. And one guy actually turned down a promotion because he knew it would take him away more from his family, from his church life of pursuing God's agenda. Um, and another couple of the other couples were willing to listen and keep going. And so uh, I actually ran the course again uh, sometime later and invited them, those couples back in to say, Listen, I know we had to go at this, and I know that sounds weird, but would you be willing to come back in? And then I invited about 10 other couples in, and we did the same thing again. We opened God's Word. We pressed in on the positively on God's agenda for the world and negatively to push against the careerism um, and all the, pers- the ambitions that people have. Um, and we did that again in similar types of numbers, about a third – and have said, yes, I want to hear more about this, <laughs> kind of Paul in Acts 17. Uh, I certainly wasn't Paul, but people were willing to say, it was very similar. Some of them were like, what is this babbler trying to say? What I don't even understand. <laughs> and others would say, we will heal you more about this. And others actually said, yeah, we get this, man. You're right. The Bible's right. God is right. And we, we want it, but we don't know what to do with it. So what happened is simultaneously it was growing that those people who said, you're right, let's go with it. I was trying to work with them to say, what's next? And so I gathered together some of the men and we started a kind of a, a, a reading group. And we started reading things uh, like a gospel and kingdom by Graham Goldsworthy to kind of revolutionize their understanding of the scripture, that it's not about them, but about Jesus. We read a short book by Don Carson called The Difficult Doctrine of Love, just to help them understand how to read scripture better. Um, and onward. And it's concurrently at the same time, I took the other people and I kept pushing them back to take course of your life again. And it got, I think there were some couples that took it for three straight years. Um, I'm grateful for their patience and their willingness to go along. So that group kept multiplying out as we uh, went through course of your life again and again and again over the years. And just, just doing a numbers game, the, there was a small, tiny subculture starting to turn over that understood God's agenda, were able to understand that life is related back to the beginning. They were vine growers through word and prayer and through them, not just the pastors of the church. And, and we kept trying to kind of connect their hands with hands of other people in the church to read the Bible, to read good theology books, uh, and to do things uh, like that. So you just kept on working with groups of people, sometimes the same people uh, helping you lead other groups, and you just work through applying the word using that framework. It sounds like you did it again and again. How many times or how many people would you have 
taken through that kind of framework and just worked on them in the Word of God to sort of change the way they thought about themselves and about discipling and so on? Yeah, we, we kept it intentionally small, invite only, for a number of years. Um, it wasn't until like year seven or eight that I think through some, just say, hey, let's try to open it up to bigger. But I'd say over the first seven, seven eight years, we took probably 250 people through that. Um, I think some of those were repeats, but let's say 200 unique hits, so to speak. Um, and, and, and mind you, we were also trying to, this is one day a week. I was on staff one day a week at that time. And so I had other things to do, but the main thing I was doing was that, um, was trying to rebuild a trellis, what we would call adult Sunday school in a Wednesday night class. So our kids and youth come Wednesday nights to our building and we run a class during that time. And so we used those two pockets of time when their kids had something to do and cared for. And we kind of rebuilt the trellis from within. We didn't wave our hand in front of the church and say, hey, we're going to redo everything. It was a subtle re-enculturation that was more word-focused, driven by God's agenda, and really pushing people to say that the response to the gospel is to give up their lives for the sake of helping others give up their lives. That's incredibly encouraging, Marty, to hear because it's kind of living out and enacting the principles of ministry and the trellis and the vine, etc., in the way that you sought to bring that culture in. That is, you said, I need to work with people and the word of God needs to get into people's hearts and lives and really change them from within. And that really just happens over time. You, It doesn't happen in one sermon. It doesn't happen with just giving them one book. It happens as you sit down with them in the word over time and prayerfully work it through and see the word really revolutionize the way people think about themselves. Because that's the main thing. It's it's a change of the heart, isn't it? If the heart yeah. changes and you come to see and love a different thing, you don't I don't love my life and all the things that I want. I love God and what he's done for me and I love his agenda and his plans for the world and what the Lord Jesus is doing. And I want to throw myself into that. And that means if the heart changes, then tell me what to do. Show me how I can help other people grasp who Jesus is. Show me how I can help grow other people. So and as that went along, like as you, you've got a couple of hundred people now within the church who are starting to think and love and live differently. What did you do with that? How did you sort of direct and help those people to put that into practice? Yeah, one of the big signs, as I encourage other pastors, and we, we try to say, listen, it'll happen differently every place, but there are some signs that you can see, and one of them would be people will come back to you as a pastor or leader and say, I got a guy, <laughs> or versus a female, I got, I got a friend, um, I've got a guy who's asking me, or quite often, I I, at work, I tend to spend a lot of time in the car with this other guy, and I want to ask, get him to talk about this stuff, or he keeps asking me about this Christianity stuff. So that's the kind of one thing that we started to see the fruit with people coming back and saying, I have people in my life who need to know the Lord or grow in the Lord. What should I do? Help me. The other thing we did is try to encourage people to be uh, well, you say in your upcoming course called Share the Gospel, Tony, that maybe we'll talk about it another time, but called God Talk. It's in the old Two Ways to Live training course, too. Is that, And we tried to say specifically, have more God Talk after church on Sundays. And so we, it was neat to see over the years that most time, at the beginning of my time, people mostly would just run out, especially after second service. They're hungry. Kids are hungry. We get that. Over time, we'd see people stay five minutes, 10 minutes, a half hour 
there would be dozens, scores of people in our auditorium after the second service, the late service for a half hour. And then kind of another layer in that, they just weren't talking about the football game, uh, the sport, whatever. We started seeing people heads down with their hands on each other's shoulders, knowing they're praying for one another. So that was one of the kind of the, the small directives we would say. We would say, think about people in your spheres of life, how you can speak this life-giving truth to them. And if you're worried or you're scared or you have trepidation about doing that, start with people you know on Sunday mornings, at quite really specific. We give very specific instructions after church time, formal time on Sunday mornings, and do you have two main goals. One is uh, one you could try say, what can I pray for you? Or the other one is to talk to them about something that you learned from the sermon. So all this is going on, Marty. People are, in a sense, getting a bit revolutionized in the way they think about themselves. You see the culture starting to shift as more people looking outside themselves to others, trying to minister to others in various ways. What's going on in the rest of the church at this time? So what does the staff team think? What do the senior pastor at that time think? And what's going on within the staff team while you're beavering away doing this work with people? Yeah, because we were a church fashioned after kind of the traditional mediums, big church, we had everybody had their, we call them silos. I don't know if you guys use that, but everybody had their silos. So the the youth person did his youth work. The music person did his music work. The women's person did their women, her women's work. And so there was a sense that, you know, we all just kept doing what we were called to do. But I would say um, our executive pastor, Chris, really got it. And so he pushed in and stuck his neck out and risk it (laughs) and started to encourage our staff as a whole to say, maybe we all should have a bunch of people worth watching, or we call them disciple-making teams. Maybe not everybody can go through the course of your life. We tried that. That did not go well to try to force every pastor or require every pastor to do a course of your life team. But we did then come down and say, everyone should have these some people on the radar, they're trying to invest in personally and deliberately to spread this vision of what God's agenda is, what disciple making is, and what are some specific outlets or ways that we can exercise these things in the life of the church and beyond. So that was really helpful that Chris um, really pushed that in. And there was some resistance to that early on. There were some staff definitely did not buy in, but there were some who really got it and we're really grateful for that. Now, since there's only a few of us that are still around from 12 years ago, but the ones who are really got it. That's actually another thing I was going to ask you about. As I keep coming back to Old North and I I do it nearly every year, I've done it for over a decade I've seen some of these changes and I've seen the culture of the place change in all kinds of ways. But of course, the staffing has changed. All sorts of stuff has changed. Um, Apart from this work that you've been just keeping on doing, working with people and then sort of mobilizing them as they become excited about ministry, what else has changed in the church kind of, not as a result of what you've done, I'm not trying to make you out to be the uh, the initiator yep. of everything by any means. But what else has happened that has also helped to build and change the culture of Old North? Because there has been a change in the last decade. Yeah, I would say a number, well, there'll be a number of things quickly, briefly, I'll say um, there's a, a person who worked here at Matthias Media with us for a long time named Beth, that we, because just our office conversations at Matthias um, turned into opportunity for her to come on staff at Old North to lead our women. And that was hugely influential to the church to see a bunch of women take the very similar change to kind of do a bunch of stuff to now we're going to center around the Bible and center around reaching other women with the word of God. So that was huge and grew up alongside of that when Beth came on. 
our music because uh, the aforementioned Chris, uh, the executive pastor, also led our music at the time. Very much tried to showcase how even music, which probably very much had a worship centrality and a kind of experiential bent to it. We didn't go completely away from that, but we did say that you actually were training one another, we're teaching one another with the Word of God in the substance of the music. Chris started to infuse that language in our Sunday morning services. And then in God's kindness, uh, he brought us a, a senior pastor about eight years ago who, from the kind of the top-down vision, really got it. He had been a longtime Matthias and Trellis and Vine fan before he got to Old North and really didn't know what was going on. Uh, but in God's providential kindness, he brought Nick to us to preach Scripture in the same way we've been teaching it and going through it in our groups uh, for those many years before. So God was kind that the little pockets of bottom-up culture change were then met with some of these top-down changes with music, uh, with expository preaching and teaching, and also with kind of the vision that was cast that share, used the very same language we were saying in our Course Your Life groups and beyond. Now, he and others from the, the center on Sunday mornings were saying it quite regularly to help kind of cast that vision deep down into the congregation at large, what God's agenda is, what he wants of us, and the big gospel vision for the world. It's really interesting that the way it ended up happening at Old North and these changes happened was kind of the reverse of the way kind of many of us think of it happening or or would want to see it happening. That is, we think the leadership starts everything. Uh, it happens from the top down. We introduce some new structures and organization to change the way we think about things. And we reinvigorate things from, from above, as it were, where it's interesting in your case, it kind of started bottom up, really. It started with you as a part-time, one or two days a week discipleship pastor, just working with people patiently over a period of five, six years, a couple of hundred people. Uh, and then as the leadership changed, as structures changed, the top-down happened as well, and the result was a lovely synergy that saw a great deal more happen. And I think there's a lesson there. I think we often feel like the key thing is to change, in a sense, the trellises and the values and the vision and the mission and all the stuff that we do as ministry leaders from the top down. And that's important. Like, if that doesn't happen, it's it's very difficult. But we sometimes neglect the bottom up, which is which is kind of where it just happened to start with you. But whether you start there or not, you, you've got to start there in one sense, or it's got to be happening very early on, that you're just working with people and seeing people change their heart and mindset about who they are and what their role is in Christ. Yeah, some of these calls, I do a vine growers consultation calls, because what happens is lots of people read Trellis and Vine and they say, great, I believe it, what do I do next? And I'm no expert. You've heard my story. It's a lot of God's providence. It's a lot of his kindness and his grace, despite a lot of missteps that we probably don't have time to talk about, but um, and maybe that's for another time. But I would say that one of the things I say almost invariably on these one-on-one -on -one consultation calls with pastors who want to say, I'm in, what do I do next? Invariably, I say, start with some kind of people work, whether just read the Bible with one or a small group of people and then train them to read the Bible with others or read the Course Your Life book with someone or run the Course Your Life, but start somewhere with a small pocket of people before, maybe concurrently, but at least before you start to try to change bigger trellises, bigger and badder trellises. Yeah, that's useful. And it's it's instructive to me that the the Bible reading you did, in one sense, all the Bible is the gospel, and you can do this from anywhere in the Bible. 
But it's interesting to me that as you met with people and you specifically applied the word to the issue that was there in their lives, that is their lack of understanding of themselves as participants in the work of the kingdom, as disciple makers, as people with a different agenda now that, that we serve the Christ who died for us and rose again. And you applied the word to that space and you did that over and over. Well, I've just used the word space. I promised myself I'd never use the word space in a podcast <laughs> ever again, but I've just done it. Uh, you're, you're on a you're... journey towards that end. <laughs> Tony. You're on a... now, now let's get to the, the other word is peace. Let's get to the disciple making peace. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, you applied it to that particular area and you did it persistently. And God's word did what God promises his word will do. It, it brought change into people's lives as the spirit applied it. I think it's an interesting angle on what you're saying that it's in one sense, reading the Bible with anyone is great and just do it, but you particularly applied it to this issue. Now, I also want to ask you what didn't go so well. So it sounds like under God and in his providence, there's been some real change and wonderful things happening over the past 10 years or so. But of course, nothing ever happens smoothly. What were some of the obstacles or some of the things that didn't work that you look back on and think, oh, we should have done that differently? Um, boy, there's so many things, you know, I, this is not personal confession time of my lack of prayer <laughs> and the times I was too people pleasing. So maybe just focusing in on a couple things I know um, from the get go, as much as we talked about God's agenda for the world and casting this big vision, and we told people to be other person centered with the word. And we did try some of the things that I mentioned earlier. We didn't focus as much in as we should. For example, one of the kind of homework pieces of the course in your life is to read the Bible one-to-one -one with others. And, and for various reasons, never really pushed on that and, and held people to do that. And because of that, I think looking back now, we have uh, done a decent job training people, but we haven't to use, I guess, a certain kind of language, train trainers. So in one sense, we're struggling kind of with the next generation down. So I think, yeah, really just very specifically and practically getting people to pass on the ideas, not just with kind of casting a big vision and shared language, which I think we did pretty well, but with just simply being able to say, Tony, would you like to meet for coffee for the next four weeks and read through Colossians together, just with you and me, coffee and the Bible open? So we still don't have what we I've always heard Colin Marshall say, kind of that groundswell Bible reading movement that we're after. People are definitely more into scripture and definitely more scriptural. But that would be a bit, I would say, a mistake or an oversight that we didn't train trainers, that we didn't instill in the kind of the very practical next generation to say, let's pass on the good deposit by simply opening the Bible. So perhaps people are too reliant upon the trellises or the big, bigger trellises of small groups. I didn't do a lot of very personal work. I did. I relied mostly on group work, as I talked about earlier. So um, while I met with people here and there, there was, it was mostly in group work. So I didn't model one-to-one -one or one-to-two work as much as I probably should have. So there would be a couple things I would say. Yeah, that's really helpful. It's hard to do everything and to do everything well at the same time. And there's always a new challenge to try to address in ministry, uh, areas that are not quite as strong as they might be. And that's the nature of, of ministry in not just a fallen world, I guess, but a, a fallen fellowship, a fellowship of sinners, a fellowship where uh, nothing ever quite goes to plan and where we do all of this just in the messiness of everyday life and of the challenges of everyday life as well. 
Absolutely. And I don't want this to get cut. <laughs> it is that, uh, yes, we did a lot of things poorly. Um, and there was things we would do differently, as I mentioned, and, and there's many more. And so I don't want anybody hearing this thinking that, yeah, we had some just magical ride of bliss in upward trajectory movement, so to speak. Um, but I still would say God was kind and it's an opportunity to thank God for his providential care. And it'd be remiss if we just wallowed in our tall poppy syndrome to not be able to say, we thank the good Lord for his good work. There has been some good work and it's a balance there, isn't there? You don't want to get above yourself and you don't want to promote yourself. And who are we but just servants who just plant and water? We're, we're nothing in that sense. But to see that God's word and his work does produce fruit and that as we apply the word to people's lives, it does bring change and that we should expect it to bring change. I think that's also important on the other side. And certainly it's a little bit like your family, I suppose. You don't notice your kids growing, but I come and see your kids sort of every year or so and, and I'm always astonished at how much they've grown. And um, it's a little bit like that with church life. You as I've kept coming back and forward to Old North, it's been lovely to see a, a noticeable change and growth in people and in ministry and the culture of the church and numerically as time has gone along as well and in the quality of what's happening, it's been lovely to see. And it's not an accident. It's because, as you say, the good Lord has done his work through his word. Look, thanks for encouraging us along these lines, Marty. It's been really great to chat to you and hear some of your story about this. And dear listeners, I hope you found it encouraging as well. And if you have any questions about what Marty's been saying today, any thoughts and reactions and responses, please get in touch. And uh, next time I chat to Marty, which I'm planning to do every now and then here on Two Ways News, we'll pick up some of those questions then. But thanks again, Marty, for being willing to chat and to tell some of the Old North story today. And I'm wondering whether, as we always do, whether you'd like to close in prayer for us. Absolutely. Thank you, Tony. Precious Father, we do thank and praise you for all the good things you give us. Uh, you're such a good God to move and act and align and care for even beyond our prayers or our prayerlessness. Uh, even beyond um, the things we do. So we're really grateful, Lord. We're grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ is merciful and kind. We thank you for the good gifts of the church, Lord. Certainly as uh, I think back over these years and as Tony's witness too, Lord, that we know that you've given us many good people by your care to do this work with certain gifts and abilities. And we thank you for the gift of the church and the elbows and the thumbs and the knees and all there within. And we also thank you, Lord, for the many, many people who never get noticed, who are faithfully praying, faithfully reading the scriptures and faithfully doing the quiet good things of you, uh, Lord, each and every day. We'd ask you, Lord, that you would multiply those people, Lord, so that they would build up your church and the people around them. And we would ask you, Lord, in your kindness, that we would order our lives well, uh, that each and every day we would give up our ambitions and to seek to pursue your agenda by your ways through word and prayer and people in the gospel. And Lord, that you would be glorified through all this work. And to that end, we pray. Amen. Amen.